It's our anniversary. It's our anniversary. Wait, oh my God, I am so bad at this stuff. You surprised me with the 100th episode and now you're surprising me with our anniversary. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary. I know the dates in my head, but I don't think about it until, because we obviously record before (laughs) the actual day that's being posted. Oh my God, it's our two-year anniversary. It is. I do think our one of our Encounters episodes probably comes out on, because it's the 14th. August August 14th 14th is our anniversary. Oh my God, yes. Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. Did I ever tell you I saw Owen Wilson outside of a bar and he literally said, oh, wow. He did? Was it at Bungalow? No, it was outside of, you know the room? It's next to the, it was the bar next to the room. Uh, I don't think I ever went to the room. The room's in like a weird parking lot and then the one next to it. Anyway, yeah, he was with a not. very tall, beautiful model and was was walking into the bar and goes, oh, wow. I've never been here before. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So expected. Oh, by the way, this is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses who have officially been doing this for two whole freaking years. Wow. I think that this means we're podcasters. I think that started a long time ago, but yes. Really? I feel like I feel like two years is serious. That's no, true. after one year. It's like if you break up, you're like, oh, well, it wouldn't date for that long. But two years, we're we're in it. We're pretty – we're going We're steady. committed. We're – maybe mm-hmm. – I'm going to get you a plaque that says podcaster, and it'll be like <laughs> me – it's going to be like the podcast version of lavaliering. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Or yeah. like, you know how they have in Hollywood, they sell all of those – well, I guess you could get them anywhere, like the world's best boss statue or whatever. <laughs> the oscar you should yeah. get me one with a microphone that says podcaster and then oh. i'll get you one as well we just buy them for each other same gift that's so sweet maybe we should just buy our own because then we won't have to send them all the way to across the country Pay for shipping no one likes shipping no one likes shipping it's anyway rough. two freaking years that's insane that's a really long time oh my god which means we've known each other for way longer which is even crazier Ooh, i don't want to talk about age and it also means that I moved away over two years ago. That That is the sad part. <laughs> You're sad about it. I'm stoked about it. <laughs> I am a New Englander for life, baby. This is where I belong. I'm going to disregard all of this because I'm happy for you, but also like, ugh, you're not with me. But what I will say is I am so impressed with the way that we have been able to overcome long distance because we talk about this a lot but how when people move away it gets really hard to keep in touch and we have i mean obviously we have a podcast but like this is the most amazing way to ever do that it's true and it's like because it's it's scheduled we have to show up we have to <laughs> chat we have to keep in contact with each other yeah. and it's like it's even more than our once a week check-in because we're constantly texting each other. Mm-hmm. And then when we do record, we don't even end up recording for a while because we're like, what's going on with you? What's new with yeah. you? Blah, 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 blah. How was that? Oh, I saw this picture of this. It's yeah. I talk to you way more than anyone else. Yeah. I talk to you maybe the same amount that I talk to my mom. I talk to you more than I talk to Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and I live oh, with no. him. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, no, no. Also, there but are yeah. people just chatting below my window should i yell out should i be that neighbor take your congregation elsewhere (laughs) you're like the grumpy old neighbor (laughs) get off my lawn get off my windowsill space (laughs) it's very much public property oh my gosh i have a 
crazy story for you. What? It has nothing to do with ghosts, and it's actually quite upsetting to me because it's about cats. But so we have, I don't know the name of the person, but anyway, these two women who started working on Prodigal Son with us were telling me this story about one of their friends who bought a new house, not a brand new house, but basically remodeled home. It was like they move in and they start to redo the backyard. And they start digging up on this one plot of land mm-hmm. and within minutes hit a bag. And he opens the bag and it looks like little bones that he <gasps> believed to belong to a cat. And in the matter of a couple more minutes, he finds another bag. And over probably the span of a week, he had to call in friends and people to help. And they found over 70 bags. 70. Seven zero. What? Bags of dead cats. Because at first I was like, maybe this is just a family burying their pet cats throughout the years. But 70 is a serial cat murderer. Well, apparently they went to the pet store down the road and they were like, oh, you moved into that house. There was a really old woman who apparently died who had been living in that house for a very long time. But she was a – I'm not going to say crazy because I don't know, but like a cat lady. Oh, so maybe it was just all of her. But 70, 70. That's so many. I guess. But if you think about it, if you have a big house and you have like 10 cats at a time and you live there your whole life, it might be easier to reach 70. Cats live for a decent amount of time. Man, oh man. If I were working at that cat store, I'd be like, I don't really want to give you any cats. Yeah. You come here a little too frequently. That's a lot of cats to dig up and i know this is a depressing way to start off our two-year anniversary podcast but i needed to oh tell gosh. someone oh my god that's so okay there's a whole so what instagram did they do story with all of the cats i think they disposed of the bodies like just threw them in the in the trash i don't know i don't know i guess what else are you gonna up. do okay speaking of disposing of bodies did you see that story of the Body. Frankenstein facility? Yeah, donation center that was uh, raided by the FBI in Arizona. How fucked up is that? For people who don't know what we're talking about, there was a body donation center in Arizona that was raided by the FBI. And basically, the people working there, or the main person, was not doing the testing, medical testing that body donation centers claim to be yeah, doing. And they had like over 200 body donations, people who had deceased and signed away their bodies to be yes. studied for the benefit of science and research and cell research and blah, 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 you know, and cures instead, to diseases, better understanding. That's where they thought their bodies were going. And instead of that, they were going to a fucked up person's weird ass tortured chamber of like Frankenstein bodies. They found a a man's torso with a smaller head at reattached. So it was like someone else's head attached to this body. There was like yeah, buckets of penises. Yeah, it was like a female, penises. a female head with a man's body. It was, it was Disgusting. like a crazy amount of body parts that were stitched together, creating these sort of like mixed matched human, yeah. these Frankenstein body parts. And my question is, 
why did it take so long to raid this? Because who are the employees? Who are the people that worked at this facility? Because I'd be like, no, this is some weird ass human centipede shit. This is not science. It's not okay. It's horrible. Wait. Okay. So because of this, I I was talking about this with um, Allie and some of our friends on Friday Mm -hmm. night. And they pulled up, Cahill brought it up. They pulled up a John Oliver segment where he's talking about coroners and medical examiners and how effed up the system is in the United States. And apparently medical examiners are the only ones that need a doctorate. But coroners could be anyone from any walk of life. You need no prerequisites at all to be a coroner. And then there are some states and places in like different states in the U.S. where they are so limited with resources where if someone needs an autopsy, the town will be like, we don't have a coroner. Who wants to be the coroner? And literally anyone, the local freaking hairdresser can go and be like, hey, I want to be the coroner. Great. You're now the coroner. Sign your name. Here's your body. Figure out what the cause of death is when they have no credentials whatsoever. Okay. Because I knew you could like run a mortuary obviously and part of me actually did know that towns small towns vote in coroners but for some reason i did not make the connection before of like oh wait a second those people could be in some cases even writing down the cause of death that might later be used in a crime a murder investigation and there was uh in the john oliver segment he was talking about there was this one guy who brought home organs from a body and his dog ate them. That's fucked. And another guy who brought home a brain from one of the a, a person on his table and had to let his children play with it and take photos with it. <gasps> oh my gosh. It's horrible. And then there was this woman, just you'll have to watch the segment. But anyways, there was this woman who was saying that her husband died randomly and had no idea how and so they wanted to get an autopsy and also in order to get life insurance they had to determine cause of death the coroner took six months and also had no idea what they were doing and so it took forever she couldn't like afford to take care of her children oh my god it terrifies me that's so terrifying so Uh, uh, yeah I don't know. I don't really have words because I know it's so messed up. It's just like, how is that happening so much? And how is no one being like, wait a second? Yeah. Maybe we should, you know, put some parameters around who can do this. I know. I think part of it is because doctors don't want to be working with dead bodies. They'd rather be saving lives. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, that's horrible because in the statistics where I think it's, over 500,000 people in the U.S. per year die of unknown causes and need to have an autopsy performed. Almost, or like, I, I might be butchering this number, but I think like 30 to 40% of them are performed by medical examiners, which are people with doctorates. So more than half are being performed by someone who, granted some corners, I'm sure, are, go through schooling and have credentials, but more than half are being done by non-doctor coroners. Someone has got to make a documentary on this because this is so fascinating. It's scary because then, like, what if you die and your cause of death needs to be determined? I mean, when I'm – whatever. 
Unless it's a murder investigation, like, who cares? Whatever. She had pneumonia. She died. I don't know. It matters for hereditary reasons. Like, if you have children, they need to know. I guess that's true for them to include in their medical history. Yeah. Scary. So scary. And think about all of those coroners who took home body parts and just probably welcomed in the spirits of those that were like, I'm sorry, I didn't sign off that you could take my liver and give it to your dog. Okay, so this week, we have an episode that was picked out by our Patreon donor, Andrew, and he chose St. Louis, Missouri, Local Haunts Mm -hmm. of St. Louis, baby. Local Haunts. This is a fun, I mean, every episode is fun. I just love doing this. Two years. Yeah. But St. Louis is wicked haunted. I feel like we've already done stuff involving St. Louis, but this is... This is getting real down and dirty with oh yeah with the ghost of St. Louis. You're up first. Yes. Okay. So Andrew was very interested in specifically the Lemp Mansion in St. Louis, Missouri. So that is where I am going. And that's what we're going to talk about. I have to give a little bit of a warning label because this story deals a lot with suicide and can be triggering to listeners. So the Lemp Mansion is said to be one of the 10 most haunted places in America. It is known as the home of tragedy, tragedy that surrounded the Lemp family specifically, and it happened over and over and over. But it wasn't always that way. The home was actually first built in 1868, and it promised to be a place where family and love would be cherished and cultivated, and it offered hope, which is actually where the Lemp family story begins. So there was a man named Johann Adam Lemp, and he decided to leave Germany in 1836 for the hope of opportunity. He took his one-year-old son, William J. Lemp, and left for the United States. And when he arrived in the U.S., Johann decided to change his name and officially go by Adam, and so that's what he did. And he and his son, William, settled in St. Louis in 1838, and he built a small grocery store which no longer no longer exists, but it was on what is Ooh. now Del Mar and Sixth Streets, if people are from St. Louis and are interested in that. Along with traditional household supplies, Adam actually sold homemade beer. And it was like light golden lager that wasn't actually common at the time. And so townspeople in St. Louis went crazy for it because most of the beer around then was kind of darker, richer beer. And so this light lager was awesome and exciting and everyone wanted to know what was in it how he made it but adam was very secretive because apparently the recipe for the spirit was actually passed down through his family for generations and he wanted to keep it in his family name and it became so 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 successful that he actually decided to close his grocery store and just focus on his beer business and opened a brewery and a small bar So in 1840, Adam built a small brewery and sold his lager through the pub next door, and his business continued to succeed, and Adam continued to expand his venture. And by the time that Adam passed away, which was at old age, he had lived a very long life, he was a millionaire, and the Lemp family name symbolized wealth and power. Adam Lemp passed away on August 25th, 1862, and left his company and inheritance to his son, William Lemp. William, he was raised as a very dedicated, hardworking man, and uh, he's a little bit interesting, which I will get to in a minute, but he took it upon himself to turn the Lemp Brewing Company into a world-renowned export brand 
And it was actually the very first beer to be transported coast to coast within uh, refrigerated trains. And it became one of the top 20 beards in the country and facilities in St. Louis covered five blocks of the city. He then had also during this time met and married a young woman named Julia Feichart on December 3rd, 1861. And she also came from a wealthy family. And Julia's father had actually built the original mansion in 1868. It was a, friend, you're going to love this, 33-room Victorian mansion and had a basement. Ooh-hoo-hoo. 33 rooms. Who needs that many rooms? It's crazy. I guess uh, you got to have three living rooms, 20 kitchens, and four bedrooms. <laughs> 20 kitchens? That's a lot of kitchens. <laughs> Anywhere you go, you can get food. Um, the Lemp Brewery was almost literally taking over the city and William was running out of office space. So he decided he was going to buy the house from Julia's father and make it one his home, but also have some of the spaces and turn them into office space. So Mm -hmm. they're not all the bedrooms, but William and his wife, Julia moved into the mansion in 1876 and turned it into what is now referred to as the Lemp Mansion. And William actually built a tunnel from the basement of the mansion all through the underground caves all the way to the brewery, which is very, what's his name? SpaceX guy. Uh, Why am I blanking on his name? Elon Musk. Thank you, Elon Musk. Because he built that tunnel from his house to SpaceX or whatever. Or he (laughs) wants to. But So that's what William did. And he also, in these caves and tunnels, built an underground large concrete swimming pool, a auditorium, a theater, and a bowling alley. All underneath the home. That's so cool. So crazy. And also it was the dream home and perfect for they had ten children, William and Julia. Ten. Ten children. Ten. Let me repeat that. Ten. It's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. And uh no wonder they needed the underground stuff. They all could entertain themselves for hours. It's a, wait. It's actually really creepy now that I think of it. I have this recurring nightmare, uh-huh. which it doesn't make sense that it's a nightmare because I'm exploring my home, <laughs> which is a super big mansion. But it's all I'm like exploring the downstairs, and for some reason I don't remember ever living in it. And it's kind of like that. It's like the basement, like the underground area, has all these really weird, massive rooms. And for some reason, I have the creeps. And it's a recurring weird. nightmare I've had for years. Maybe I'm secretly weird. dreaming of. The Lump Mansion. Whoa, this has all been a part of your destiny. I need to look up pictures of it to see if it rings a bell. Yeah, you should. It's gorgeous. It's really, really pretty. Right, so they built all this. They had 10 children, six sons, and four daughters. But unfortunately, one of the daughters died shortly after childbirth. But the rest of them lived. That's all I can say because they did not all live very long or healthy lives. Life in the Lemp Mansion with William was very interesting. He uh, he had an interesting way to uh, show his love. Okay. He um, apparently every night at dinner, he sat with an extra utensil called his gun, and it sat on the dinner table right next to him while all ten of his family members sat around the table. And if conversation went away he did not like, he would raise the gun and point it at his family members and tell them what they were doing wrong. Okay, that's a lot of pressure. Children, yes, or if the children wouldn't eat their food, they would get a gun pointed to their face. So um, probably not the best place to grow up, 
according to everything else, Julia was a wonderful mother and loved her kids very much, was very loving, and yeah. But anyway, all six of the Lemp sons actually worked at the brewing company, but only one of them could actually inherit the company from William when William passed away. And they say that you shouldn't have a favorite child, but everyone does because I'm the favorite child in my family. (laughs) And my sister and brother know it because my mom has said it. Uh, Anyway, but William had a favorite child too. It was actually his fourth son, Frederick Lemp. Did your mom say that you were the favorite child or the easier child? Favorite. Wow. Well, I was also easier. She said, <laughs> she said growing up, I was her favorite. She, she now says, you're all my favorite for different reasons. Well, she probably said growing up that you were the favorite, but then to the other people, to the, your other siblings, she probably told them that they were the favorite. No, she says it in oh, front wow. of everyone. My parents just say that I'm the favorite daughter and that my brother's is favorite. Maybe they, they just kind of ended at that. So maybe he's the favorite. <laughs> I was going to say favorite son, but I don't yeah. think they add son to the end of that. That's funny. My sister was the devil child. We literally, we know that. We've discussed mm-hmm. this. So it makes sense. Okay. So William also had a favorite child and it was his fourth son, Frederick Lemp. Frederick was born in 1873 and pretty much from birth, William took a liking to his, to Frederick and was kind of molding him to become his predecessor Mm -hmm. is that the right word yeah and unfortunately tragedy struck one of the first of many tragedies frederick lemp got ill and he'd come down with a horrific cough fevers and fatigue and he was diagnosed with tuberculosis and was sent to san francisco where he could get fresh air but it was too late for him and he died in 1901 at the age of 28 and it broke William Lemp's oh, heart. No. It just destroyed him and he became mean and just ill-tempered and he would yell at his family. He also became kind of a recluse. He couldn't go to work. He would go to work, but he wouldn't really do work and his family granted this must have been very hard for them because they knew that the, their father didn't love them nearly as much. And so his family was trying to lift his spirits but it was impossible. Yeah. And on February 13th, 1904, William shot and completed suicide in the Lemp mansion. Oh, man. Yeah. He, it seemed like his family was pretty devastated, but also, uh, this is bad to say, but it, though, from the sounds of it, they didn't really like their father. Mm-hmm. So to some respect, they were kind of relieved that they no longer had to deal with him, which is horrible and sad. Okay. But Since William had passed away and Frederick had passed away, the company went naturally to the eldest son, whose name was also William. I'll call him Junior to keep things straight. Junior and his wife took no time to spend the inheritance and bathe in luxury. So they now have the house. They moved in. They spent all this money on servants. They would buy clothing, fine art, and fancy carriages. And his wife, Lillian, was apparently loved the color lavender and everyone calls her the lavender lady and she's actually a spirit in the home is seen wearing lavender she would decorate everything in lavender like even the horses straps and stuff she had hand painted lavender i love that do you think she had some lavender bushes planted outside as well oh probably also people nowadays will if you're in the lamp mansion people smell lavender and it's accredited what a good reputation to just be a lavender lady A peaceful, soothing color and a wonderful smell. 
Yes. But unfortunately, her life was not great because her husband was a turd. So on September 26, 1900, they had their first and only child, William J. Lemp III. And they lived in the house for a little while, but William Jr. was not a great husband. He grew tired of his wife and wanted to be a player. And so he would give Lillian $1,000 a day and told her she was not allowed to come back home until she had spent every last cent of it. And if she did not spend the entire $1,000 a day, she would not get the $1,000 ever again. Oh. So every day, Lillian went out and spent $1,000 every day. Okay. And this is in 1900s. What? 1904. Wait, wait, wait. She's spending $1,000 a day. Wait, I'm sorry. You said her husband was a turd, but he gave her 1000 bucks a day? Yeah. Am I, where, where am I missing all the bad? Oh, well, because it gets worse. Wait. <laughs> no, that part sounds great. Okay. I'm like, I don't understand why that's bad. I could easily do that. <laughs> Money does not buy you happiness, Corinne. I know, but a thousand bucks a day can get me by. Well, so uh, I haven't heard any bad as well I'm saying it. I'm just saying that doesn't seem like that bad of a challenge. We'll get there. We'll get there. So a thousand dollars a day. But while Lillian was out spending this money, William Jr. was hosting parties in his underground bachelor pad, and he would invite many sex workers, other men, and he participated in some illicit activity, and he actually ended up getting one of those women pregnant. Mm. And one day, a woman from one of those parties came to Junior and told him that she was pregnant. And when she gave birth, the child had Down syndrome, and the woman decided she did not want the child and gave the child to William Jr., and said, deal with this. And Junior was furious and had no desire to take care of this child. He gave the child to the servants and told them to keep him hidden away and that no one is to know that Zeke, which is the name that the child was given, was his. So Zeke was kept hidden away in the attic of the mansion for the entirety of his that life. That is such a sad story. Yes. And Apparently, his birth was never recorded, and so, like, his existence basically does not exist, but there are all of the people who have worked, who who did work in the Lemp Mansion confirmed that Zeke did exist and that he was taken care of and raised by the servants in the home, which is so amazing of them to have done. Mm -hmm. And so... The boy never left the home, and William Jr. just had this kid living in the attic. He eventually forced Lillian and his son, William III, out of the house and just, like, lived a miserable life. And now William Jr. is just alone. And it's believed that actually Zeke ended up dying in the attic of the Lemp Mansion and has never left. And his house has, or his face has been seen peeking out through the windows on the attic level of the home. Yeah. And more on that later. Because tragedy does not end with Zeke. William Jr. forced his wife out and Lillian got full custody of their son. And then Julia Lemp, William's mother, died of cancer in 1906. And then William Jr. begins to spiral downwards very similar to his father. And the Lemp Brewery began to suffer because new competition was coming in and Junior just had no willpower or he he also didn't really care about the company. So he didn't really invest any time into 
making it better. And so when competition came, he just kind of let the company fall to pieces. Mm -hmm. And he remarried briefly, but that didn't work out. And then World War I hit and then Prohibition. So then the brewery was shut down. And then he just went into a deep depression. And it only got worse because something horrible happened to his sister, Elsa. So Elsa Lemp was the youngest child of William and Julia. And due to the family wealth, Elsa never had to work a day in her life. And her main focus, as was the case in the Times, was to find a husband. So she did. And she met and married this man named Thomas Wright in 1910. And Thomas did not come from wealth. And he had worked his way from nothing to becoming the president of a metal company. And it is believed that he only married Elsa for her money and that he put himself in in a position where Elsa would then fall in love with him to marry him so that he could get money. Hmm. So he was not a great guy. And Elsa was blinded by love and she thought it was real love, but then quickly realized that Thomas was scum and that he only cared about the money. He was horrible to her. He was abusive both mentally and physically. And Elsa wanted out. So she filed for divorce in 1919 and they went their separate ways for one year. And then all of a sudden, this guy Thomas canoodles his way back into her life convinces her that he loves her tells her that he'll take care of her for the rest of his life that he never meant her any harm he loves her and they got remarried this was march of 1920 and 11 days after their honeymoon elsa supposedly died by suicide in her home but Many, many people believe that her husband, Thomas Wright, actually killed her and made it look like a suicide. I mean, maybe. He sounds like he had some issues. Well, and also he convinced her to get remarried, and 11 days after their honeymoon, she ends up dead. Yep. That doesn't sound right at all. And then he got all of her money. (sighs) Oh. Yeah. And so then this is 1920, and William Jr., who's already in a horrible depression because Everything in his life has gone to shit. And his sister dies and he decides he too can no longer live. And a year later, William Jr. followed in his father's footsteps and took his own life as well inside the Lemp mansion. And then the remaining Lemp children, Charles and Edwin, remodeled the mansion and lived there with Zeke, Will Jr.'s illegitimate child. The tragedy impacted all of their lives. Charles actually grew so terrified of germs and would wear gloves at all time to avoid bacteria. He hardly ever left the home because he was so scared of getting sick or dying or having something horrible and infectious attack him while he was outside. Zeke passed away in his 30s, and shortly after, Charles became the fourth member of the Lemp family to die by suicide. Wow. Yikes. Charles took his revolver and apparently killed his dog. And then took his own life on the stairway on May 10th, 1949. Edwin, the remaining Lemp, was the only Lemp family member who chose to leave the family business when he was an adult. And he seemed to be the only Lemp to live a long and fruitful life, dying at the age of 90 years old in 1970. And his dying wish was that the butler was to burn and destroy all of the Lemp artifacts and records on his deathbed. So when Edwin died, his butler burnt everything in his home which was not the limp mansion he lived somewhere else and 
Before Edwin and Charles died, the Lemp Mansion was sold and converted into a boarding home, and that's when all the ghostly reports began. And residents complained of ghostly knocks, phantom footsteps, ghostly visitations. But unfortunately, life at the boarding house wasn't so great either, and more misfortune and tragedy struck within the walls of Lemp Mansion. There was apparently multiple murders, many missing people, just because it was a time where, you know, all of these people were living in boarding homes and there wasn't much record keeping or or safety guaranteed mm-hmm. in these places. As years passed, it was harder and harder to find tenants willing to stay at the haunted and unsafe home, so it started to grow decrepit. And then in 1975, Dick Pointer and his family decided to buy the family, and they turned it into a restaurant and inn, which is the current function of the Limp Mansion today. But workers within the house often told stories of apparitions, strange sounds, vanishing tools, the feeling of being watched, and they were so frightened by the hauntings, many of them would leave the job site never to return. And then in 1980, Life magazine called Lemp Mansion one of America's nine most haunted houses. And today there are believed to be nine active spirits in the home or more. Guests will write about seeing glasses or ice tossed across the room. Others smell strange perfumes or experience sudden cold spells. Apparitions will appear and then quickly vanish. Voices and sounds come from nowhere. The piano bar will play on its own and doors will lock and unlock by themselves. The most active places in the mansion are the stairway where Charles died, the attic where Zeke was kept hidden away for his entire life, and the basement where the caves and tunnels from the brewery accessed the home, which is often the area down in the basement is often referred to as the gates of hell. Oh, wonderful. Good fun. I mean, if I were locked away in an attic, I would think that was the gate of hell. Right. Well, definitely. So sad. But man, oh man, that's a lot of spirits and a lot of death too. Yes. A lot, a lot of spirits, a lot of death. So Zeke is said to haunt the attic. Many people will see his face peeking out of the small windows of the mansion. Ghost investigators will actually leave toys for Zeke and the toys will end up always moving on their own. And it's just, which is sweet, but it's interesting because, and I'm sure this is, you know, he, he had Down syndrome and he also died when he was 30, but he, still has such childlike mannerisms because he was probably locked away and had no ability to socialize or grow right. up. Right, yeah. Oh, my God. How, how horrible. I hope that he at least had some happiness in his life somewhere, somehow. I hope so, too. I do think he was taken care of and raised by good people, so that is one positive. Yeah. It's better than him having been raised by a horrible the person who put him in the attic for the first place. You know? Right, right, right. That's so true. Uh, some people have heard Zeke calling from the third floor and there have been reports of people while in the attic hear a voice say, help me, help me, which worries me. Yeah. What that implies. Uh, his father, William Jr., the playboy is known to haunt the woman's bathroom downstairs. Apparently has never learned his lesson and continues to peer on women in the bathroom. And there was this one woman who was using the bathroom and a man came in and just watched her. And she stormed out into the bar and yelled at these two men who were sitting at the bar. And she goes, I hope you guys got an eyeful, eyeful, you pervs. And they looked at her confused. They were like, we've been sitting here this whole time. What are you talking about? And the bartender was like, yeah, these guys haven't left this spot. Are you okay? So they believe it's William Jr. who's a peeping Tom. <laughs> and yeah, horrible. Can you imagine no. a ghost just staring at you while you do your business? But then also, I would never want to go in that bathroom after finding out that it was actually spirit. 
Or what if you went in no. knowing that that happened and then you see it? I would, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to just die right here of a heart attack on the toilet. Yep. That terrifies me. That terrifies me. Oh my gosh. One of our friends was actually, uh, she was in the bathroom at like a Target or something. And this little boy just dropped down and peered at her underneath and just stared at her for the whole entire time. And his mom was like, get out. Stop it. But she was in the like stall going to the bathroom. Oh, and so she no. was crying to get her son to stop. Anyway. That's horrible. actually happened to me. I've just waited and been like, hi there. Hello, child. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good behavior to encourage. No. But what else are you going to do when you're you dropped trow and you're peeing? Throw the toilet paper roll. Just got to wave and smile and hope that that's enough to make them go away. No, you terrify them. Say, don't you dare do this. You're doing something wrong. And then they'll never do it again because they're so traumatized by the crazy lady in the stall. <laughs> that's what I would do. So the room that used to be William Lemp Sr.'s, the oldest Lemp who first moved into the Lemp Mansion, that room is particularly haunted. It's the room that William actually took his life in and... It's the room that William died in, and people have heard someone running up and yelling from the stairs towards the door, and they hear what sounds like someone kicking the door, and it kind of sounds like it's a residual haunting because apparently when William did die, his son, William Jr., heard the gun go off, and he ran up the stairs yelling for his father, and he found the door locked, so he was kicking it and pounding on the door trying to open it, and then found his father afterwards. Yeah. So many people have had experiences there, and one of the ghosts even went viral. In 2019, the St. Louis Paranormal Research Society was hosting a haunted limp walking tour. They walked all around the area, they got the history, and then they went inside the home itself. And a member of the tour group took a photo of the staircase, and there in the photo is the lady in white who is believed to be Julia Lemp herself. And it's not the first time she's been caught on camera because the St. Louis Paranormal Research Society has actually captured her on camera multiple times. And every time you can see that she's in a white dress and appears to be a fully formed apparition. And her spirit's actually been seen for decades. Locals who grew up in the area know of the lady in white at the Lamp Mansion. And almost all of them have seen her at some point in their life. And there's this group of old ladies who were like best friends growing up. And they they wrote this whole story about how one of them saw the lady, lady in white when they were young, and none of them believed her. And then they all went outside the limp mansion and all saw her together. Wow. And it seems like Julia is just wandering the property, watching over her home and all of her family members who died so very tragically in the home. One woman was actually getting married in the mansion, and she laid out her dress and outfit for her big day. And she went to the bathroom, and then when she went back out to the bedroom, everything was thrown around the room, just tossed. Like, her wedding dress was thrown across the room. Oh, rude. And... No one else was in the room, so she was like, uh, this is scary. And she felt a real crazy heaviness, a darkness when she came back. And so she grabbed all her stuff and got ready in another room. There's cigar smoke smelt throughout the building, as well as the lavender aroma, which I said. And there's this one spirit who don't people don't really know. She kind of, she doesn't seem related to the Lemp family at all. She, according to Betsy Ballinger, who hosts the haunted history tours at Lemp Mansion believes that she's the spirit of a young girl who lived in the boarding house. So Betsy, who ho- who hosts the Haunted History Tour, has talked with this spirit and believes that she's the young girl who lived in the boarding house. And every time Betsy has talked to her, she has great sorrow surrounding the spirit. And in her communication with the spirit, she believes that this girl was abused and murdered in the boarding house. 
but she's never been able to find records of it, but she still believes it's true. Wow. One family was on the ghost tour and they were up in the attic and they were super creeped out, but they hadn't felt or heard anything until they started to leave the attic space. And as they turned to leave, all four of them heard a boy say, come play with me. And they all got chills and were blaming each other like, what are you doing? Stop saying stuff like that. And then as they were just kind of staring at each other quietly trying to figure out who said it, again, the little boy said, come play with me. And the family ran out of there terrified. Oh my God, yeah. But on retrospect, they understood that it was Zeke, but oh. it was still scary nonetheless. Probably a little bit of guilt for running away after realizing like, oh man, it was yeah. just the little, the spirit of an innocent yeah. person. I know. But it's still scary just hearing a it voice is. from You're never nowhere. prepared. Rarely are you prepared yeah. for paranormal activity when it occurs. It's very true. The One of the more freaky experiences people have had is the way shadows dance on the wall. And it's so – you know how we all have our shadows. And like if you're in a certain place, you can see your shadow. But the way shadows operate in the Lemp Mansion is that you might think it's your shadow. But your shadow will start to move on its own. <gasps> oh, my God. No, 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 no. Isn't that scary? Yes, that's a huge fear. Yes. Didn't know it was a fear until right now. <laughs> and the back stairs are believed to be haunted by Charles's dog, the one that he actually killed before he died. And the dog can be heard panting and his nails clicking on the wooden stairs. I'm sorry to say this, Corinne, but apparently people believe that when Charles shot his dog, his dog did not die immediately. <gasps> and his dog tried to crawl after him and then died on the stairs. I know. It's very sad. Oh, this hurts my heart. I know. I cried really hard. Actually, I should say it right now because I read a post that was by a veterinarian the other day and I was like mm -hmm. crying like a maniac because it wrote that he wrote asking for people to stay with their dogs when they have to put their dogs when they when dogs have to be, you know, put down. Yes. Because he said that people often leave their dogs because they're like, it's too hard. I can't be here. I can't see it. He said, but the dogs Ugh. are always in their very last moments searching for their loved ones, their eyes darting around Yeah, you around need to room. stay with them. Oh, my God. I'm so sad. <sighs> oh, so sad. There's a really scary spirit, to go from sad to scary, um, that is known to haunt the basement. And... It is believed to be something of a darker entity, and this is why they call it the Gates of Hell, because those tunnels that went from the house to the brewery were boarded up, and people believe, or when people are in the basement, specifically employees, they'll hear a banging on one side of the walls and someone saying, let me in. Oh my God, Like no. in a dark, guttural voice, and people believe it's a trapped entity from hell. And then there is another spirit that haunts the basement. People think it's Julia, who does not like the fact that there is a dining room down in the basement because in the dining area in the basement, the workers will set the tables, get it all ready, and they'll come back to find everything just thrown on the ground. Like tablecloth ripped off the table, everything on the ground because Julia doesn't want people eating down in the basement. Wow. And William Sr. Lemp, the original William Lemp who lived in the home, is not too keen on the fact that his home has become this place for people to tour and spend the night because it's his home in his mind. It's the Lemp Mansion. And he has been heard saying, get out. This is my house. Get out. Get out. But he will be appeased because there's nothing he can do. And he won't do anyone harm. 
But there are so many experiences, so many videos, so many EVPs, so many photos. If you look it up online, it's I, it's bewildering. It's amazing. And for the most part, it seems safe aside from like the shadow moving on its own or um, one person did wake up with a ghost staring at them in the face. Otherwise, it seems like it's fine, right? And uh, if you want to visit or have a wedding there, you can. The Lemp Mansion is now a bed and breakfast with a restaurant and bar. And they offer many events like ghost tours and mystery dinner theaters and many fun activities. And you can just, you can go if you visit their website at lempmansion.com. One of the most haunted places in the area? I don't know. Might pass. Although it doesn't seem, I mean, yes, there's a lot of dark tragedy that happened in that home, in that home but it's beautiful. It's That's really true. I'll go just about anywhere so long as it's daytime. Although I know daytime does not stop paranormal activity from occurring i think it just makes me more prepared and feel less like on edge because i just don't like the darkness so i'm not a i'm not big on spending the night places but i'd do a daytime tour yeah i would too let's go let's go to saint louis missouri i would love to i want to go everywhere there's too many places that i want to go so many places to go okay this is the tale of Zombie Road. This road is what? located just west of St. Louis, Missouri. And this road is considered to be one of the most haunted places in all of Missouri. The road is only about two miles long and it's surrounded by forest. So it's a small little pocket, I guess, of paranormal activity. And it ends near the Merrimack River. And the real name of the road is actually Lawler Ford Road, but it's been nicknamed Zombie Road. It had originally been built in the late 18... (laughs) I wrote... I wrote it was originally built in the late 1806s. So either it was the late 1800s or it was in 1806. I don't know. And it's too late. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hey, it was built in the 1800s either way. (laughs) I think it might have been 1806. I don't know why I wrote that. (laughs) And it was built to give access to the Merrimack River. And a railroad track was also snaking along the river. So it had a purpose to be right there. And the road meets with the Al Foster Trail at its end. And it's now used as a paved biking and hiking trail. And it's only open during daylight hours. You're not supposed to go after sunset. But Mm -hmm. it's a pretty big trail. It's like 10 feet wide. It's covered in asphalt. So it's totally... accessible and totally friendly to people who are just you know out for a jog maybe you've got your baby in the stroller and you got one of those fancy running strollers maybe you're learning to rollerblade or going on a bike whatever (laughs) uh yeah you might find yourself going on that road and in the early 1800s a ferry began to operate near this passageway on the river it helps people move from one side of the river to the other and a kentucky man Ninian Hamilton, he was the first person to own land in this region. And after his death, it was taken over by James Yeatman in the 1850s. And then the Pacific Mm -hmm. Railroad Company completed their railroad at the same time, which went along this river. So this would seem like a lucky spot, maybe, for James Yeatman's family to be. You know, someone else had already built on this land. Then he comes along, he takes over. And it's like there's all this goodness happening so much ferry the railroad it's gonna be a poppin spot he got in early poppin oh yeah 
but it maybe wasn't that great because with anything new, with anything exciting, maybe all the kinks aren't completely worked out and there's danger involved, especially when that new thing that was built involves tons and tons of metal that could easily hurt or kill someone. I'm talking about the train because Mm. Because the people who were then moving to this area were not exactly as lucky, maybe, to be in that spot overlooking this river as they thought. Uh, The county judge's wife, Della Hamilton, she actually was struck and killed by a train in this exact area in 1876. So she was the first death from the train that happened in that area. Oh, that's so sad. And then a century later in the 1970s, two teenagers were struck and killed by an oncoming train. And many of the local residents aided in the search party to find the bodies of these two teenagers who were struck, or I guess potentially body parts, um, in that area. And it was a tragedy that affected many, many, many people. And just a couple decades after those two teenagers were struck, in the 1990s, a woman and her five-year-old child were attempting to cross the train tracks when they came in contact with an oncoming train. And the mother was desperate to save her child, and she pushed the child off of the bridge. And the engineer (gasps) of the train stopped the train after striking the woman and rushed to to save the child, which he was able to do. So she gave her life to save her child. And while the conductor of the train couldn't stop in time to save her, he was quick to be like, I have to save who she just threw into the water down below. My gosh. So a lot of people have uh, passed away here. It's very unfortunate. There's also a bluff. People looking over the edge have lost their lives here, have met their end here. In the 1960s, there was a teenage couple who was looking out from the bluff, and the boy somehow tripped or lost his balance, and he fell face first down the bluff. And this is going to get a little graphic, so I'll just give you a tiny warning. But his face caught onto a branch, and the (gasps) legend says that his face and his scalp remained on the branch and the rest of his body fell to his death on the road below. No. I don't know if that's possible, but that's what the legend says. Other people have also been severely injured on overlooking this bluff, just either injured themselves or passed away from from falls in this area because, you know, it's dangerous. You can slip and slide and... There's a lot going on in this area that is potentially dangerous it, if you're not careful. You've it also seems like been, it should be blocked off, don't you think? Well, I guess it's like any other place. It's like there's railroad tracks. There's, I mean, I myself just last week when I was in Maine, I did the, I talked about it in our last episode. I was on the cliff walk. And it's like if you're not paying right. attention to the trail or if you go just a little bit off and like maybe try to go on some of the rocks, you could easily fall and crack your mm. head open. But it's like if you're just being careful, there I feel like anywhere you could injure yourself. That's true. But it's just here there's been a lot of of tragedies in this one area. This isn't exactly on Zombie Road, but it's in this general area. And there have mm-hmm. also been many suicides and murders in this area as well. One such suicide happened in the 1970s when a hunter came across a person who was sitting in their car and that person 
had died by carbon monoxide poisoning. And another suicide that happened in the area involves a man who had a bit of an affliction for gambling. And one night he was playing poker and the stakes got pretty high. And so his betting then in turn got pretty high. And he decided to bet his wife. What? Just bet his wife like, oh, shoot, I hope I win. So my wife doesn't get taken away. But oh, he lost his hand and he lost his wife. So he was very distraught after and he ended up completing suicide. And that was thought to be the reason why. Where did his wife go? I don't know. And who knows if this really happened? This could have just been some legend as to why the area is so haunted. Right. That's what I read about this area. So that's what I'm repeating. Jeez. And there's also a large Native American burial ground in that area. So now, so far, we have a death from a woman with the train. We have a regretful husband. We have a few Mm -hmm. other people who have died by accidents or completed suicide in this area. So there's just a lot, a lot of death. Right. And many of these deaths were also due to construction of the railroad and deaths from accidents and dangers of the job of building the railroad. So a lot of Mm -hmm. workers that worked on building this railroad are said to haunt the area as well. And their souls are tortured from their ugly deaths. And many of the men were actually buried here. And they're said to rise out of their graves and wander for a bit before returning back to their, I guess, not so final resting place. Whoa. And they're kept company by many more spirits because onlookers often report strange moving lights floating around the area. Others have heard old music playing. Many people have spotted the spirits of Native Americans walking around because there is a really big Native American burial ground in that area. And some have also seen Confederate rebels from the Civil War era walking around this zombie road area. And the man who lost his wife in the poker game is also said to have been spotted. People see him walking around the area looking somber and lonely. There's also an unidentified spirit of a translucent figure who appears to be wearing white clothing. And this figure is seen walking up the abandoned railroad line and then disappearing. And some people think that this spirit is that of the judge's wife who'd been the first person to die by being hit by the train oh wow but i mean there's so many spirits in this area and so many deaths so perhaps it's impossible to actually identify who this spirit belongs to because so many people died in similar ways as well i feel like there are Mm. few unique deaths it's often uh kind of like the same thing happens to people over and over again right okay there have also been rumors and sightings of a group of children a group of spirit children walking around oh. together. Which at first I was like, oh, it's kind of nice to think that they all found each other and they're, you know, hanging out by the river and having a good time. But mm-hmm. it's also sad because it's thought that many of the children might be the the spirits of the children who have died by drowning in the river. There have been numerous drownings over oh. the years. But some people at least they found each other. Yeah, at least they found each other. But some people also say these spirits could belong to the children of the abandoned orphanage. Children who died in the orphanage. Oh. 
The area is also rumored to have a lot of gang activity, or at least that they did during the Prohibition era, which, I mean, only added, I'm assuming, to the death tolls. And in addition to that, there are also apparently some ritualistic and occult practices on this road and along this river and in these woods. And this activity has resulted in demonic entities who come into our plane and take up residency near this road. And some say that those who come in contact with these demons will meet an untimely end, which maybe could explain some of the deaths, and that their spirits will join the countless spirits on Zombie Road and that will be oh. basically stuck there. They'll haunt it for eternity. So that's why there are so many spirits. It's just like a collection of spirits. That's wild. People visiting Zombie Road at night often report seeing human-sized shadow figures running around the bluff. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No. And the shadow figures will run onto the road and then dart off in directions. And there's proof. Because what? there are multiple pictures that people have captured of these shadow people, captured by various visitors of Zombie Road. And I don't think you remember this, Sabrina, but episode three, we did Caught on Tape, where spirits have been caught on film. And one photographer, you highlighted because he'd captured yeah. a bunch and one of the pictures that we talked about and that is on our instagram one of our first posts is the picture of all of the silhouettes all the shadow people lined up along the tree line on zombie road oh my gosh wait what was his name again that took the photo oh god i can't remember andrew something oh i wanted to say tom i mean you're oh. probably right i'm probably look. wrong caught on tape Oh, yeah, you're right. Tom Halstead. Oh, I was right? What the heck? You were right. I was wrong. You know why I said Andrew? Because I did Andrew Ranson that episode. And also because you love Andrew Ranson. It's just it's <laughs> just an ongoing feeling. You know? Wait, that's where that photo was taken? That's where the photo was taken. We should repost it because it now with the context. Oh, it's so scary. I remember my mom so told much me when scarier. we posted that. She was like, that picture was the scariest one of that group. It's horrifying. It's really scary. We'll repost it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So all these shadow people are just like darting around, creeping on people, staring at them as they walk along the road. It's absolutely horrifying. That's really scary. And then often accompanying these shadow people are strange noises, disembodied voices, disembodied footsteps. People feel like they're being watched, which they for sure are by these shadow people, especially if you see the picture. And the town also used to be a popular resort community until the 1940s. And some of the old resort houses are still left there, but abandoned. So that just adds to the creepiness of the area. And there's a spirit of a woman who takes advantage of this because she can be heard yelling at people from these houses, these houses that are abandoned. And when people go to try to investigate, she'll just disappear, really spooking them. What? But what's very interesting about Zombie Road is that there are a couple of legends surrounding Zombie Road. One of the rumors is that Zombie Road was named Zombie Road because there was a zombie who was actually just a patient named Zombie who who escaped a psychiatric hospital and was never found. And later, on their search for this escaped patient, his gown was recovered and it was blood-soaked and lying on Lawler Ford Road, Zombie Road, but there was no trace of where the man went. 
Uh-huh. Another version of how this road got its name, the zombie legend, uh, is that there was a zombie killer, the nickname given to a creepy guy who lived in a shack in the woods in the 1950s and who attacked young lovers who sought out the area for some lover's lane activity. Mm. But mm. whatever the reason, this road is super haunted. We'll repost yeah. the picture because it's super disturbing and you're going to be like, oh, this looks so nice and lovely during the day. And I left the paved road along the river. Beauty, beauty. But then at night, it's like a void because not only pe- do people see odd things, but often those who wander the area at night get extra spooked because there's also said to be a woman who just screams at the top of her lungs. So you could be walking around being like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm being watched. I see a figure darting. I hear some footsteps. And then just someone will just scream right by your face. That is terrifying. I would not go lurking around Zombie Road at night. And besides just the fear of, you know, your heart racing when someone screams by you or you seeing something and then your body trying to catch up and run. Yeah. You could be fined for trespassing. Apparently, the fines are up to a thousand bucks. So, oh, that's pretty scary, too. Just look at the picture that we're going to post and feel the fear through that instead of actually going yourself. Yeah. And you could just pay us a thousand dollars instead. Oh, that's a great idea. We do accept money. (laughs) (laughs) We will take checks, which we will then use to pay for our flights to go to Zombie Road. Where we will then have to pay a thousand dollars for trespassing, and then we'll be in. No, we will never go to it. No, I mean Zombie Road. It's like it's kind of a clusterfuck of things because a lot of stuff has happened. There were railroads built, and just like the whole building of the town involves, you know, some dangerous stuff. Construction of railroads and and navigating a new town and the roads and like where people could go and where they won't go. So there's been a lot of death. There's been a lot of tragedy, yeah. and then there's just a million different spirits that haunting this road in this area. It is freaky, also interesting, about how it's become a collective of ghosts, because there are many places that have just as many, if not more, deaths and odd, strange happenings, and yet they don't have all these ghosts coming together at night walking the land right and it's the different types of ghosts too it's a group of children and then it's someone wandering up the train tracks it's an upset old gambler it's a line of shadow people creeping on you it's a demonic presence it's someone a woman trying to lure you to a house it's another woman screaming like it's just so much i just right you never know what you're gonna get i guess You, you don't know what to expect yeah it's scary that is scary. Okay. Okay. What do you have for us? I have a story that I am now regretting that I'm going to read because I have to shower after we record. And the subject line of this email is my experience with a scary ghost. Don't read at night or before taking a shower, which are two things that I'm going to do after we record. Okay shit okay this is from sammy and she says hey guys i love this podcast so much and i'm so glad that i found it even though i only listen when i'm in school because i get too scared when i listen at home lol i have always wanted to share my story and here it is 
So when I was 13 or 14, we moved out of my childhood home, which I had lived in basically my whole life, so it was really sad. At the same time, though, I was rather relieved because that house was haunted by the ghost of a lady who had died by suicide. Let me give you some background. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, which has lots of bad neighborhoods, especially in the more north side, in the worst place to have a child. They really needed a better house in a better neighborhood, so when they found my old house, they were elated. It was a four-bedroom house with a full basement in a good neighborhood, and the rent was rather cheap. Before we moved in, my dad and uncle were pulled aside by the landlord, Bob, who informed them that the last tenant had died in the shower by hanging. My dad and uncle were surprised, but they don't believe in the paranormal, so they never informed my mom or me until I was around 13 or 14. One night during the weekend, my dad and I were just talking and hanging out in the kitchen because that's where the computer was when he brought up what Bob had told him. I was shocked, but not scared because as an avid lover of the paranormal, I was ready to embrace the spirit of the girl who had previously lived here if she was around. But I really wish I hadn't been so open to her now. A couple of days after learning about her presence, it seemed she finally realized that since I knew about her, I could no longer ignore her. And she started with small things, just making me feel like I was being watched when I entered my house. But soon enough, she escalated. Every time I took a shower after learning about her presence, she would be lingering in the shower, staring at me. What? I'd hang up a towel. Are you kidding me? No. Why are we reading this at night? I don't know. I would hang up a towel when I showered so I could wipe my face, and when I showered, the towel would sway. Her presence got so bad that I began to fear taking showers and even going in to use the bathroom because I knew she would be in there and I knew she would be watching. I spent more time in my room because I thought I was safe in there, but I was so wrong it's not even funny. Soon enough, she was strong enough to force her way into my room, and I began to feel watched there too. It seemed like it couldn't escalate any further Since she was already violating every safe space I had, what more could she do? Well, things escalated. To the point where I feared going into my house alone. And I had my friend Skye spend the night so many times because with her in the bed, I felt safe from the spirit. But when she realized that I felt safe with Skye, she tried to drive Skye out of the house. Skye was spending yet another night at my house and we were just goofing off on our phones when my black cat Twilight started acting weird. He was jumping around and chirping at something and I brushed it off like a fly till cold dread and fear ran over me. It was winter meaning no flies and my window was shut meaning no bug could get in. My heart stopped as my friend Skye got my attention and pointed towards my door. My bedroom didn't have a door because it broke off so I just had an empty door frame. The freaking door hinges were swinging back and forth very slowly, tauntingly. I knew it was her instantly, and I threw the covers over me and started to shake. That's how scared she had made me. My very basic instinct to fight the threat was rewired into hiding because I knew what she could do. Skye laughed as I went underneath the covers because she thought I was just pulling a joke on her. And I still, to this day, don't know what she saw, but after a minute or two of laughing, she screamed and got underneath the bed covers with me we stayed there for what like felt like hours but after i felt her presence leave we got out and went to bed since then i have lived in my non-haunted house away from her presence i have just found out that the house was sold and i'm debating going there and telling the new owners because i don't want to give her a chance to latch on to them i went once before the house was sold and i had nightmares and sleep paralysis for a solid week and i just know that it was her thanks for reading sammy and then she sent a picture of twilight oh my gosh You know, you know what makes me sad, though, or makes me confused is this 
this woman, this spirit, had died by suicide, and yet this spirit is now supposedly tormenting her. So I wonder, was it actually the spirit of this girl, or was it another darker spirit who had known what happened and then imitated kind of maybe what you would expect of that actual spirit to maybe try to gain some sympathy or trust? To be like, oh, it's not a demonic entity. It's just the woman who used to live here. Let it be. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. Either way. I mean, I want to believe that because I can't imagine this poor spirit would be taunting Sammy for no reason. But I 100% buy an evil entity doing that. Yeah. Oh, God. it's so. And I'm so curious what her friend Sky saw. I know. I really want to know. Uh, but I don't at the same time. But also, yeah, Sky, true. email us. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so terrifying though. Yeah. I wonder. Does she? Did, wait. Did she say? Does she still live? Oh yeah. Now she lives. Yeah, in her but just haunted house. I was like, wait. Did yeah. she get out of there? I hope she did. <laughs> she did. Okay. Good. All right. I have a story. It is called Saint Louis is haunted AF, and this is from Eluza. I hope I said that right. Okay. Corinne and Sabrina, you can call me by my nickname, Eluza. I just want to start by saying that honestly, I feel like we're already friends because I've been binge listening to your podcast at work every day after it was mentioned on the Holly Weird Paranormal. I love the podcast and binge that one too. Fun. I feel really similar to you in terms of my experiences with premonitions, dreams, sleep paralysis, and clairvoyance occurring in my life, as well as the life of my family members. I've been debating sharing my experiences with you guys, but once I got to the Ouija board episode, my decision my decision was set in stone. I just want to mention that anything I share that I haven't experienced myself can't really be validated because my mother doesn't like to talk about this sort of stuff, and so it's hard to get <laughs> information outside of the bits I've heard here and there over the years. Anywho, here we go. Part one. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, which, as you've probably heard, That city is haunted AF. We definitely heard. I'll start this story with my personal experiences, and then I will tell you my mother's story, and you will see how it's all connected in the end. When I was a little girl, I had horrific nightmares from a really young age. These often turned into sleepwalking, which was really creepy because my family members have told me that during these episodes, my eyes would be open and I was acting out my dreams in real life, which were often pretty fucked up scenarios, such as armed people breaking into my home, etc. Looking back, I think many of these experiences were actually sleep paralysis as I suffer from it often, but I didn't actually know what it was until about five years ago. So this first experience I'm sharing with you, I'm now pretty sure was sleep paralysis, though I've often pondered if it could be a legitimate memory because it felt so real and for the longest time I thought it was real. When I was about four years old, my family had come back from a late holiday celebration. I remember that I was half asleep with my stepfather carrying me from the car to my bed, a perfect scenario for sleep paralysis, as you probably know, and I remember he laid me in bed with my shoes still on. After he shut the door, I took my shoes off and hung over the side of my bed and stuck my shoes beneath it. As I was coming back onto my bed, a woman with long, dark hair that I thought was my mother came out from underneath the bed and then quietly left the room and shut the door behind her. What? 
I once got the courage to tell my mom about this weird memory, yeah. and she said that that was definitely not her hiding under my bed and thinks I must have been dreaming. Fast forward yeah. about 14 years later, my boyfriend and I were heavily, haha, making out in my old bedroom at my mom's apartment <laughs> when, for some reason, I got this really strange feeling that chilled me to the bone. I really can't explain it, but I felt completely frozen with fear for no reason. The lights were out in the bedroom, and the only other light was coming from the TV and computers in the living room, which provided enough light that I could see into the hallway from the bedroom that led to the front door of the apartment. Standing in a creepy fucking position by the front door was a figure with long, dark hair that appeared to be wearing my mother's nightgown. I don't know what? how long I stared at it, but all I know is that my boyfriend, who I'd been making out with, had gone completely silent too. He wasn't questioning I my do. odd behavior yeah. because he apparently like was this. also frozen with fear and staring at the same figure that I was. As we stared, it seemed to kind of morph into the front door and vanish. And after the figure had vanished, we stayed silent until the spell broke. And I asked my boyfriend, did you see what I saw? And he replied that he had definitely seen the same thing. It was absolutely frightening and we wouldn't even talk about it in detail. And I can't even remember what we said because we were in such shock. We definitely did not continue making out. <laughs> <laughs> love that detail i was so scared about the experience that i couldn't go to bed without falling asleep with him on the phone for weeks this experience was just one of many experiences during that period of my life and i eventually got so fed up with the negative paranormal experiences that i was having that i basically just went into this spiritual battle with my friends who at the time were all pentecostal christians i just want to add that i used to be very religious but I have kind of found my own unique path of faith. And though I'm not Christian, I'm very grateful that I did get help. And I believe that it doesn't matter where the help come from, comes from. If it works, it's great. <laughs> very true. After I stood up for myself, whatever negative entities were bothering me completely stopped. And though in the last five years, things have gotten interesting again, I haven't seen anything nearly as creepy as whatever it was that I saw that day. It straight up looked like the love child of Gollum and Samara. No, that, oh, that's horrifying. So scary. Part two. I heard snippets of a story growing up about how when my mother was a teenager, she got possessed. The way I heard it over the years goes like this. My mother had a voice in her head that introduced itself with a name, and it was very friendly and began to help her do things. It was able to tell her things that she wouldn't otherwise know, things such as mm. knowing when the phone was going to ring or who it was. But then after some time, the voice started getting mean and menacing, and my grandmother started oh, no. getting scared when my mom seemed to be able to make doors slam without touching them during <gasps> arguments, etc. No. So my grandmother sent my mom away to live with Christian relatives, and during that time, my mother apparently read a pamphlet that led her to becoming a Christian, and when that happened, she forgot the name of the demon and all of the activity stopped i oh also God. heard she's so lucky so lucky that it was i guess seemingly that easy or yeah i mean i don't know how the rest of this ep or this right, uh, right. email continues i also heard a story growing up about how when my mother was even younger she saw a girl with long dark hair standing by the staircase in her parents home she thought the girl was her guardian angel i'm very unsure of that let me give you some background Definitely of the not. house where this and the possession happened. My grandparents bought the house in the 60s or 70s 
and after divorcing my grandmother, my grandfather lived there with his children well into their adult lives. It was home away from home to any of his children that needed it after breakups or hard times, etc. I have lived in the house quite a few times, and growing up, I visited my family there weekly. Aww. It was always full of kids and family, and so it was both dear to my heart and creepy AF. <laughs> the house is by the Mississippi River in a neighborhood called Marine Villa. The Lemp Mansion is just around the corner. And the house itself is so old that it was visited by a museum to take away artifacts found in the basement. I left Whoa. St. Louis and moved to Canada the summer before sixth grade. And I honestly can honestly say I've had hundreds of dreams about that house. I once had a dream that I was underneath the house and it was full of huge caverns and tunnels. The dream had Wait. a very... Crin, what? This is your dream. This is your dream. Wait, stop it. Oh my God. Sabrina, my whole body is, I just filled with fear. I mean, you were just talking about that. That's I'm crazy. I'm so scared. My ho- oh my God, I need to crawl to a ball to finish this. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, wait. Okay. I need to know if the rest of it's like yours. I'm so scared. <laughs> okay. I once had a dream that I was underneath the house. It was full of huge caverns and tunnels, and the dream had a very heavy vibe, and as soon as I woke, I recorded it right away. Recently, my boyfriend and I were listening to a podcast on the Lemp Mansion and found out that underneath that area is the Cherokee Caves. When I saw videos and pictures of the caves on YouTube, I realized it was exactly what it looked like in my dream. Shit, no, I really need to go on YouTube, (laughs) but I'm not doing it tonight. (laughs) Why are we doing this? I ask myself for the 200th time. <laughs> okay. <sighs> as soon as I saw them, I read my boyfriend the dream that I had, and I told him that I felt like whatever was going on in that area feels like it's coming from the caves. I once even had a dream that the whole neighborhood was on fire, and I was stuck in the house as purgatory and visited by an angel of death who read me my after-death contract and had me sign. What the fuck? There what? is something extremely intense about that area energy-wise, and it is mostly very dark. Back Whoa. to my mother. After I saw the golem thing at my mother's apartment, I went to dinner with her and told her that I was worried that whatever she dealt with when she was a younger child might be coming back. I told her what I saw, and she honestly just got a glazed-over look in her eyes and didn't want to talk about it. It was so awkward that I never brought it up again. And then years later, to the present, I currently live with my boyfriend who I've told all of these stories to, and were both extremely similar in interests and bought a Ouija board and had a pretty good experience with it. However, after we used it, maybe the next day even, we went out on a walk and got spooked because after we came out of the woods onto the bike path, we saw a huge raven on the side of the path on the ground. We approached it as it was slowly closing its wings, and then it died right in front (gasps) of us. What? As we kept walking past it, we came across a dying, sleeping little mouse on the path. So I picked it up and I laid it to rest in the leaves. Then on a separate walk, within those same days, we came across a snake on the pathway bleeding from its mouth. This is horrible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Prior or after, we've not come across any more dead animals. But not too long after that day, my mom and my stepdad visited us for dinner and we told them about the Ouija board. Both of them got really intense and told us that we needed to get rid of it and never use it again. I laughed it off and said that nothing had happened except that we saw a huge raven die in front of us 
and my mom cut me off and said, oh no, don't you get it? That's how it started with me. The birds kept dying. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not sleeping tonight. That is 100% a guarantee. I need to know if these tunnels are the same as your tunnels. I'm not looking it up. I could not believe that she even acknowledged what happened to her after all of these years, let alone in front of my boyfriend, who she had only met once. My mother went on to tell us that what happened to her started when her and some of her friends played with a Ouija board. She didn't say anything else besides asking us not to use it, and I didn't press the matter. So that's the story that never ends thus far. This story is so interconnected with other experiences, but I don't want to make this email any longer than it already is. I can't believe I'm sharing this story. It makes me feel so crazy, but your podcast makes me feel so much better and like I can actually talk about this sort of stuff with people who really get it. So thank you for doing what you're doing. I've also found many synchronicities between my experiences and the experiences discussed on the podcast that makes my mouth drop and want to keep listening. For instance, in between trying to finish this email, I was listening to the story at the end of Encounters Times 4, or number 4. <laughs> we just type it out like <laughs> Times 4. Mm-hmm. And two girls and the brother slash boyfriend that get lost with the faulty GPS in Missouri. Oh, my God. That story. Do you remember that story? That was so crazy. Yes. They were like lost for like four hours, but really. I hate that. Or like it felt like two minutes, but it, or 20 minutes, but it was four hours. Yeah. Ugh. And the like creepy demon in the back okay yeah i kid you not as you were telling the story i just knew that this happened around where my father's side of the family used to live because those roads are the creepiest shit ever my mom and i always joke that that if you go too far in you probably won't come out and we've had hordes of stories about those parts sure enough highway y is mentioned in this story my father's side of the family lives in a place called Misty Valley, which is located in the Mark Twain Forest. Absolutely crazy. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. I hope you guys have found this interesting. <laughs> I listen to your podcast every day, and I'll be sad when I run out of episodes. Thanks for making my life make more sense. Much love from Canada. See you on the other side. Aluza. I need to know more. Aluza, please email us the rest of this. This is nuts this is absolute banana bonkers okay i am so nervous not to make this about myself but now i'm terrified that when i go to bed i'm gonna see the woman with dark hair like she did because she saw it before she played the ouija board she saw it when she was little crawling out from under her bed and then she basically saw it again with her middle school or high school boyfriend that she was making out with and then and then maybe that's what was that's what was called with the Ouija board. You'll be fine, Corinne. You'll be fine. I can't believe her and her mom were basically starting to experience. She was starting to experience the exact same thing that her mom did. Yeah, but it sounds like her mom probably experienced it earlier. So I wonder, I don't know. It's so, I don't know. It's also scary and terrifying. And it, it seems like this entity is clearly just waiting around for someone to play a Ouija board. And it's like lingering and waiting. And I wonder if the Ouija board experience is what, because her mom said it's what started it all, yeah. is the Ouija board. And but then I her wonder mom if, like, also saw that same sort of like the girl with long dark hair when she was young, probably before the Ouija board, that she thought was her guardian <sighs> angel. I it's don't like know, the thing shows but... up and then waits for you to open the door. I just hate it. I just don't want this in anyone's life. No, this is the worst. I, like, who do you go to to get this taken care of, you know? 
Jesus. <laughs> I'm grabbing my cross again when I'm home. My cross yes, necklace. Yes, I have my crystals. I have my crystals right next to me. This is scary. I have my crystals charging in the window as well right behind my bed. I guess we're never going to St. Louis. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. Keep your $1,000. We don't want to be there anyway. Wow. Uh, that's crazy. Whew. All right. Well, now we're terrified. Yep. Now I'm going to go take a shower and hopefully not see a spirit. No. Uh, scary. If you guys have stories of your own, you can email us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And if you want to support us, you can support us on Patreon and choose a topic like Andrew did today. Uh, certain tiers have that as a bonus. And then there are other fun bonuses like discounts on merch, free stickers, shout outs, etc. There are many ways to support us. Yep. And you can also just join our pyramid scheme and tell everybody about us. That's a very easy and free way to support us as well. Before we sign off, I want to say thank you to Eric Foster at Upfire Digital for editing this and all of our regular weekend episodes. We really appreciate it. And uh, we couldn't do it without you, Eric, and without all of our listeners and fans. We really, really appreciate it. Two years. Two years. Woo, we did it. We're here. We did it. We are still... Just as scared, although I will say I think our skin has gotten slightly thicker. I think we're better at handling the stories. Yeah. Though this I mean, episode proved I don't know. different than this, what I just yeah, said. I don't know about it. <laughs> I think it's the listener stories that still get to us the most. It's the listener stories. I feel less scared researching now, but the listener stories still screw me up a lot. They get me. And we will see you on, on the other, other side. side. Very smooth.